You're listening to AliCast, a deep dive into innovative and emerging trends in e-commerce, online payments, and digital entertainment, brought to you by Alibaba Group. I'm Julie Huang. I know, I know, Double Eleven is over. So why are we still talking about it? Well, because Double Eleven is more than a sales event. It has become an opportunity for international brands to experiment with creative ways to engage with consumers in China. The marketing innovations launched during Double Eleven can be adopted by brands and applied to campaigns throughout the year. So, for our final recap of this year's Double Eleven, we'll review some of the tactics with Danielle Bailey, Managing Vice President at Gartner, where she oversees the APAC region. Her latest report is Lessons from Double Eleven. How brands adapt their offering across a consumer purchase journey to win. Danielle regularly works with the world's leading brands on their digital strategies, and has been an advocate of applying brands' innovation out of China to the global market. Danielle Bailey, thank you for joining us. To start, how many Double Elevens have you been through? So I've been covering the China market for、uh, almost a decade. So I've been looking at it for all that time. But the first time I got to sort of see it firsthand on the ground was in 2017,、um, and at that time it was really getting a chance to see Singles Day for the hu- highly interactive、uh, event that it is.、Um, we've always talked about, you know, that shopping in China is a contact sport, and really got to see this sort of firsthand. It was at this Double Eleven where、uh, I first saw this idea of sort of gamification come to life. Where they were dividing sort of the on stage at this gala that I was attending inside of a sports arena, they were inviting teams to sort of divide themselves into two, and it was the job of the audience, both inside the arena as well as folks who were watching online and at home, to pick which team they thought was going to win. And then if they correctly picked the right team, they'd actually unlock sort of more discounts and sort of coupons. And watching that happen sort of real time was fascinating. And what we've seen is actually that gamification has become sort of the standard underpinning of the Double Eleven holiday.、Um, it's really sort of the driving mechanism to get consumers to drive traffic to your Tmall destinations, as well as to drive sort of conversion. We've seen across industries, it's become really standard to either require daily check-in in order to get introduced into a lottery. Or to have people actually refer the deals that are offered by your brands to their friends for more opportunities to participate in these lotteries that will unlock additional discounts or gifts. Gamification has actually become, you know, more sophisticated, and the standard really sort of shows how it's evolved. So the Chinese consumers are ready to shop to spend, and which brands impressed you with the way they、um, reached Chinese consumers? Obviously, one of the hallmarks of this year was the idea that there were going to be two sales periods for Singles Day, which was sort of the newest element that is, that's always added.、And、each year, Singles Day adds sort of like a new sort of twist and turn. We also think about Singles Day as this period where we can start to understand, you know, what are the latest innovations in terms of digital and e-commerce in the market. And a brand that was sort of really smart about leveraging this sort of new two-phase period was Estee Lauder. So Estee Lauder, for the first time this year, is finally sort of taking the, the crown as the top beauty brand、uh, away from the L'Oreal portfolio. They were actually quite smart. We had sort of thought that during the first wave things would be rather slow, but all the big brands, everyone came out sort of with guns blazing in the first wave, 
Estee Lauder actually got a jump on that and was actually activating even prior to the beginning of the official double eleven sales period. So wow. you see them starting with this uh, nine-day celebrity live stream where they are bringing, again, the big guns to the table, elevating this sort of entertainment aspect of Double Eleven and the sort of branded entertainment aspect that live streaming has morphed into. They culminated this with uh, their sort of really top uh, ambassador, Yang Mi, appearing in a live stream that had more than 3.6 million views. What they also did that was very smart is they used the first sales period as an opportunity to set up the second sales period. During the first pre-sale period, they were very active about trying to incentivize the creation of user-generated content. They worked very aggressively on the platform Red or Shanghong Shu, which is a female-driven platform that's very popular in the beauty space in terms of where people go to learn about new products and trends. This platform is a huge traffic driver to Tmall and is more and more actually integrating into the Tmall ecosystem. So in this uh, platform, they created campaigns incentivizing people to actually share unboxing videos um, and pictures and content of the items that they actually purchased during the pre-sale. What they were able to do is then take all this sort of conversation and energy around, around that and use that to educate consumers who might not have purchased in the first pre-sale period and help to, to boost and drive sales in the second uh, period. They also repurposed a lot of this user-generated content that had been created by consumers directly into the Tmall ecosystem. Word of mouth in China um, and users uh, telling other users about what's the hot deal, what's the great product is actually the biggest driver of uh, sales in China. And what you see them doing uh, finally is in the second wave of pre-sales, them doing this again, this time utilizing a celebrity campaign that was encouraging people on social media to share, again, the purchases that they've made using this hashtag that was called uh, Estee Lauder's Double Eleven Products. And they're going to not only benefit from all of the energy that's been created during the singles day period, but this helps you know even after, sort of in the post-singles day period. I think a lot of focus is given to sales uh, and how much sales people generate during Double Eleven. And while that's important, we t- we're constantly telling people that as important is the amount of customer data that you're able to harness during this period, as well as the amount of user-generated content, the word of mouth that you're able to drive during this period. The, again, not only for just during Singles Day, but uh, helps you even afterwards. It's amazing that Estee Lauder did this, and they're also sort of veterans to Double Eleven. Are there any sort of smaller brands or new brands that entered this year who did something that may have impressed you? For the first time this year, luxury brands participated in Double Eleven in earnest, um, which brings an entirely sort of new approach to Singles Day. You know, Singles Day is often thought of as this highly sort of promotional period. And luxury brands are really sort of taking that and sort of turning it on its head as they really try to preserve their brand um, integrity. And so we've seen luxury brands really lean into some interesting things, including the release of special editions, several luxury brands actually moving up their Christmas collections to coincide with Double Eleven, um, which is really signifies how important they see this market and the Chinese consumer to their sales and, and their brands as a whole. We've also seen luxury brands leaning into live streaming, both using top tier live stream influencers like Austin Lee and Bia, but also releasing their own very high production 
live streams that go beyond sort of the traditional transactional live streams that we've seen and really are about like building the brand and extending the brand experience and creating a luxury experience directly within a Tmall. And then finally, the utilization of things like experiential gifts and services. And so instead of offering coupons and gifts, what we see instead are luxury brands providing giveaways, whether that be things like branded products or merchandise, things like computer bags or card bags, even like in-home scented candles from a brand like Piaget, and instead offering them like services, which include things like interest-free installment payments or the ability to bring their products for uh, tailoring or things like that into the store for free. And so this this is really sort of transformative and I think is going to be illustrative for other brands and other industries as well. So brands that have like really strong brand power, is there an opportunity for them to think about as well, how can they utilize these, these holiday experiences, not just for you know, traditional coupons and discounting, and instead thinking about it as a way to continue to build their brand and not necessarily have to be so reliant on the traditional promotionality of the period. Let me um, stay with luxury brands a bit. I remember not too long ago, sort of talking to a luxury brand, and they really thought that physical retail stores was the only way to go because people had to come in, try on, see the products. And yes, luxury brands really leaned into this Double Eleven. I mean, more than 200 luxury brands participated. Did that surprise you given the mood of this year with the pandemic? No, I think this pandemic has actually pushed luxury brands in a way that they haven't before. I mean, the, one of the big stories of 2020 is that, you know, Tmall has really reached its tipping point with luxury brands. Many of them now from all the major luxury houses have really leaned in. The watches and jewelry space specifically has gone almost all in on Tmall. And if you were talking to a lot of these brands a year, a year and a half ago, many of them would still sort of be very wary about the marketplace or online e-commerce experience because of the their sort of perceived threat around their brand and their sort of incorrect notion that high-end spenders don't exist within these platforms. And so right. the fact that it's been a, a complete sort of evolution of thinking around this and that if you look at brands like even Cartier, for instance, um, I remember having a conversation with someone very high in the marketing organization at Cartier almost two years ago who was adamant that they would like never be in Tmall. And now when we look at Cartier, they are probably one of the most active brands in the platform and definitely among the luxury set. They, um, after launching into the platform earlier this year, have continued to um, activate doing everything from Haybox launches to releasing sort of exclusive products. And around Double Eleven specifically, they have really sort of demonstrated what it looks like to have a luxury experience on Tmall. Um, they've used live streaming in a really interesting way. So as you mentioned, people think about, oh, oh you can't really translate you know, the look and feel or seeing or examining luxury products or trying them on into the online space. And so what Cartier has done is taken something that they've done really well all along. They're known for their large scale exhibitions and offline events that are, that are targeted to VIP consumers. And to support the release of their uh, Sir Natural collection, they actually hosted, again, one of these very large, elaborate offline events. But what they did really smartly is they used this event as a way to capture a ton of content. So huge numbers of celebrities and VIPs attend these events. They captured a ton of content on site. And then they embedded that pre-produced content 
into live stream that they hosted uh, during Double Eleven. This live stream was hosted by celebrity. Again, it also included like jewelry experts. They were able to not only just show the product, but provide like really close up views of the jewelry product to give you again a real sort of sense of this. And we're talking about product here that's you know worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. Um, and so they really sort of helped to show the sort of elevation and evolution of what it looks like to to be a luxury brand inside of Timo. You're right. This is like a big story this year. And I can't get over sort of how going from like resistance to full embrace and very creative solutions. What do you think was sort of the the factor for the tipping point? Was it just the pandemic? I definitely think the pandemic was an accelerant, but I also think that luxury brands have had to take, take a step back and say like, who is our customer? And their customer are Chinese consumers. And within that, it's really Gen Z Chinese consumers. And then, so when you think about where are these people, how can we capture them? It is very difficult in the Chinese digital ecosystem to drive traffic to brand-owned destinations. And what Tmall offers is an aggregation of where people are already spending a tremendous amount of time, particularly as Tmall evolves and becomes more content-rich, but also where they're already spending a lot of money, and particularly Gen Z consumers and young consumers who account for a tremendous amount of growth. Chinese consumers are expected to account for almost half of all luxury sales as early as 2025 and probably sooner, given some of the the recent sort of post-COVID pandemic effects. So they have to kind of turn to Tmall because it is the natural sort of place where these consumers already exist. And um, I think that was an an important step. And I think also proving some of the early brands who have been there for a while. So Burberry is a brand that was the first luxury brand like ever to join join Tmall. Um, They also have been one of the brands that have been really adept at adopting loyalty within Tmall. You actually don't typically see luxury brands pursuing loyalty programs on their other platforms. It's not something that they do. But within Tmall, um, most luxury brands are actually utilizing loyalty as a mechanism to, again, drive repeat purchase and visits. And Burberry's loyalty program is super sophisticated, including multiple tiers, a lot of experiential rewards. And again, as they think about all the sort of ways in which they're touching consumers within this ecosystem that they can kind of put their fingerprint on, um, it continues to be a brand to watch uh, for sure. So on the subject of loyalty programs, um, you pointed out that they're used very strategically by Burberry and others to convert the traffic they've seen during the shopping festival to owned relationship. Um, was this a strategy that was quite popular for this double 11. I mean, it's a really different approach from how U S brands use loyalty programs. Yes. And this is actually another place where kind of gamification uh, rears its head and, and, you know, not surprisingly, you know, shopping is a sport in China and, you know, it's single day of the Super Bowl of that shopping and loyalty is a way in which not only can brands capture a ton of customer data, but they can also reward, you know, their VIP consumers. A brand like Fila is actually a good example. They've really provided some sophisticated mechanisms and used sort of scarcity and and gamification as a way to to get their followers to sort of constantly engage. So they offered these sort of daily shopping deals uh, in a limited quantity available only to their members. Other member exclusives um, or loyalty member exclusives included things like the ability to participate in what are called like member days where Consumers could get additional kind of coupons uh, and things like that. They also provided these sort of daily tasks that they would ask their members to do, where they could also earn additional points again that they could redeem. 
so this is a popular, you know, loyalty, like everything else within the Tmall ecosystem is becoming more and more sophisticated. But what we're seeing on the luxury side is, you know, the ways in which loyalty is becoming, you know, experiential. So instead of these things like coupons, you know, what they'll offer, things like invites to VIP events or the ability to get some sort of branded gift or things like that for loyalty members. Mm. One thing that you pointed out in your report that I found very interesting was that for Chinese consumers, packaging really matters, and perhaps even more than launching new products. Can you share some interesting examples from this year's sale? Absolutely. Um, packaging has always been important in China. It's a way for self-expression, but it's also, you know, people like to actually display their products in their home, and so you have a unique or rich type of packaging that makes it sort of not only an item that they purchase, but a collection piece, um, it, it actually incentivizes people to purchase. One of the, uh, I guess, the oddest or, or most interesting sort of packaging examples for them this year, Double Eleven, brand collaborations are a huge driver of new product introduction into the market and a way to sort of uh, generate buzz and sort of sales. And one of those that we saw is actually from uh, Kotex, the feminine hygiene product, but actually collaborated with Cacao Friends, which is the South Korean messaging app, sort of emoji characters, uh, cartoon characters. And you were asked, like, why, why would they need to, you know, dole out their packaging with these, um, with these sort of cartoon characters? Um, and again, this is a way to target and reach Gen Z consumers. Um, and it provides this uniqueness and sort of speciality that, that actually drives consumption. But where we see this sort of has been happening for a while and has gotten even more and more sophisticated is in the beauty space. Um, many brands have actually uh, launched uh, unique packaging into the space for Double Eleven specifically. Lancome is a big example of this, really leaning in. They actually took their um, Hero product, which is a very popular toner, um, and collaborated with, uh, again, emojis and created these bottle tops that look uh, like popular emoji characters, like the monkey that's like covering their mouth, which is very popular and used uh, online. And these uh, actually became super popular. The way they did it was actually quite smart. They used what's called the blind box concept. This is uh, another thing that's become a huge trend, particularly with Gen Z and the market, where you purchase something and you don't know exactly what you're going to get inside. There was a collection of these four emoji edition toner bottles that were there. You would you can get a blind box. You wouldn't know which one you were going to get. The monkey one was the most popular and became super popular. And because they're using this blind box, it actually incentivizes people who don't get the monkey the first time to possibly try to purchase again because they, they want to get it or they want to own the full collection of all four um, of the limited editions that they offered. So this has become a really... Uh, way for, for brands to sort of distinguish themselves during this time, create a ton of energy, and particularly um, target young consumers. I wish I had easier access to some of these products. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um, this was also the year of live streaming, which has been a growing trend for the past couple of years. But this double eleven, it felt like it was a must. What new trends did you see in live streaming from this double eleven? Live streaming has just become, continued to become more and more important in the, in the Chinese uh, e-commerce ecosystem and specifically directly within, within Tmall. So what we've seen is really the evolution of live streaming, where it's gone from being sheerly transactional, interactive sessions to being more about brand building. And so this includes the things like cloud happy hours that are hosted 
by celebrities and influencers, which include like various games and interactive opportunities, um, live stream concerts that happen directly within Tmall of top tier celebrities and performers that draw sort of huge audiences. We've actually seen on the transaction front, brands think about how they can leverage these live streams, not only as a way to sort of provide heavy discounts, but also to, to provide a way in which consumers can really sort of engage with them. Do, do you think the China style of live streaming and e-commerce will ever catch on here in the U.S.? Absolutely. We've actually started to see this happening already. Brands like Tommy Hilfiger and Ralph Lauren, who actually saw success of doing in-store live streaming via Tmall um, in China during the COVID period, um, have actually directly translated that concept to the West, um, hosting in-store live streams. Ralph Lauren using Chance the Rapper to uh, live stream from their store in Chicago, not only to provide a concert, but also to show off uh, some of their latest products. Uh, Tommy Hilfiger as well, taking influencers, using them in the store environment to do live streams and introduce sort of new collections. Because the lesson that they learned from China is that not, live streaming not only is a powerful tool for uh, online sales drive, but it's actually a powerful tool to incentivize people to visit stores. Often after they'd hosted an in-store live stream, they'd actually see foot traffic spike uh, to the store where the live stream was held. And so it became a popular tactic for people in China to use during the COVID and post-COVID period. And we're seeing brands in the West adopting that as well as a way to try to navigate through this crisis. It also should be noted that Amazon, not surprisingly, who pays a lot of attention and, and takes a lot out of the Alibaba playbook, has also emphasized live streaming within their uh, platform. So the Amazon Live platform, uh, they put much more emphasis on that. We've seen a number of um, beauty brands and smaller brands uh, in their ecosystem try to take advantage of that. Um, it's not as well integrated or uh, or as interactive or engaging as you would see sort of in China, but definitely a lot of Western brands are learning from the China ex live streaming experience. We've heard a lot about this need for brands to have a digital transformation, go digital. What does that mean for a brand to go through a digital transformation? What do they need to do? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think when people in the West hear digital transformation, it means like what's happening right now. So the fact that, you know, the e-commerce in the last six months has grown as much as it has in the last six years means that people in the West are undergoing radical shifts in terms of how they're approaching online. You know, many brands and retailers who didn't have, you know, omni-channel capability are now you know, where it was a nice to have before COVID, it is a must have sort of in the post COVID world. When I think about digital transformation in China, I actually think of it a bit differently. It's not radical. It's like ongoing. It's constant. Um, and this is even prior to the COVID period. We often think about, you know, China speed and the cycle of innovation in China of being something that's continuous. And I think that's been a difference in the West you know, it's taken something as drastic as a pandemic for uh, many Western brands to sort of get their act together digitally. In China, you have to always be in the cycle of continuous uh, innovation and improvement. And I think that that digital transformation is just something that is, a, is an ongoing part of the muscle that you have to have to be successful in China. Daniel, while I have you, I want to get your thoughts on some look ahead for 2021. Um, what's your assessment of Chinese consumers for next year? Continue to grow strong? 
So Chinese consumers have proven to be unflappable actually for quite some time. And I think, you know, at least what this recent sort of singles day confirms is that consumer confidence remains strong. I think going into next year, while there may, the, the Chinese consumers, first of all, will feel very good about where they are relative to the rest of the world, um, as everyone else sort of continues to sort of muddle their way through this crisis. And um seems like luxury has finally embraced e-commerce in China. And any thoughts on other categories that will go big on China e-commerce next? Uh, one of the categories that I'm paying a lot of attention to right now is automotive and real estate. These are two industries that have been have, were heavily impacted by the COVID crisis and the lockdown and people's sort of inability to access offline during that period. And really rapidly, quickly shifted online as ways to sort of continue to engage with their consumers. And we've seen, uh, whether it's with the launch of like Tesla into the Tmall ecosystem earlier this year, or just the sheer amount of activations from um, automotive brands within Tmall, is something I'm definitely paying uh, a lot of close attention to. Uh, I think there will be more of these sort of non-traditional industries that will continue to uh, sort of embrace China e-commerce. How does China serve as a bellwether for what is to come in global retail? I think China is an effective crystal ball for what's also to come into the West. And so paying attention to what's happening in China is not important just for growing a, a China business, but is important for growing your global business. As we're seeing the radical digital transformation that's happening uh, in the West looks a lot like what we've seen in China for the past three years. I appreciate your optimism. Danielle, thank you so much for your perspective and for joining AliCast. For more on Danielle's research, go to Gartner.com and search for the Luxury China 2020 report, which features the latest ranking of digital brand performance of luxury brands in China. You can also connect with Danielle Bailey on LinkedIn to continue the China conversation. 